good morning, friends, and welcome to our 945 service on this, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. Um, Ash Wednesday and Lent are just right around the corner. Exciting time in the life of the church. Welcome to those of you in the room. Many more we know joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way. Some of you are visiting with us in a moment. Uh, Taylor will tell you what to do. Uh, if you are, but we're just glad that you're here. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Pay attention, participate in the broader life of the church. One thing I'd mention is uh, this coming Wednesday at 11 a.m. and then repeating it at 7 p.m. Uh, I'm going to lead a session on the Bible and marriage, and it's not here are the five easy ingredients of a happy marriage. It's kind of all the bizarre, quirky stories about people trying to have a relationship in the Bible and what that means actually for all of us trying to be God's people. Here in the world, I hope that you'll uh, come for that. Uh, my name is James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Taylor Pride Barefoot. Good morning. It's so good to be in worship with you. As Dr. Howell mentioned, if you're new or you worship with us every Sunday, we want you to let us know you're here. Uh, there's a couple ways to do that. One is a QR code on the back of our bulletin, and then we also have hospitality pads on the inner aisle of the pews that we encourage you to pass down. But we are delighted that we get to be in worship together and to worship God as a church.
to raise our voices as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, which is found in our hymnal on page 881. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. as we continue on in worship, we have the opportunity to confess our sins together in the safety of our community. So let us do that now together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with the 21st verse. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to naught, and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered together about the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, 
because they knew him. And in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, Dale, thank you for these uh, two readings. Uh, the first one uh, takes us back in time, transports us back uh, to the 6th century B.C. to a place we now call Iraq. In those days, it was Babylon. The Israelites had been there for decades, uh, forced to live, banished from the land because of the Chaldeans, and uh, they were dreadfully impoverished. They felt totally abandoned by God. They were riddled with guilt. They thought they would never go home. They thought they were neglected by God. They, they had no hope, no hope whatsoever. And God's prophet stands up and utters a shocking, surprising, almost unbelievable word of hope to such a people to say, my way is hidden from God. They had good cause to think that. The prophet said, God is about to do a new thing. Uh, that text in particular transports me back in time to a pretty interesting place, uh, not to the 6th century B.C. alone, but also to my college days. I was, I've told some of you this before. I grew up you know, like a heathen person and started college. I was a heathen person. And, uh, but I had some... Were you nodding? You... <laughs> I got to watch her all the time. So I was a heathen person, but I had these friends that went to this church uh, nearby, an Episcopal church. They kept bragging about how exciting it was. I'm, eh, I'm not a church guy. Leave me alone. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not a church guy. They kept bugging me. Finally, the power of invitation, the power of saying you matter. I finally went. I've told some of you this before. I went the first time. I looked around. I felt like a fish out of water, but then I loved it and said, man, I am coming back. And the reason wasn't that I heard some gospel message. The reason was like, there were, there were many very attractive women there. And it's like a fertile field to come back. And so anyway, so I started coming back. But what I discovered coming back uh, was that it, it wasn't just a lot of pretty women. It was people who exhibited an unusual, joyful commitment to God here you had college students, and they were trying to be all in for God. I'd never seen that before. I'd been to church a little smattering of times in my life. I'd seen people kind of going through the motions, going to church. But these guys were all in for God, and they had a lot of joy, and <laughs> they had great singing. And uh, one of the songs was this text that we read, and uh, I should have had the choir prepare this as an anthem. It's really snazzy, and it kind of goes like, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I know you hope I'll sing the whole thing for you, but we don't have time. And I thought about that this week. So I was thinking, here you have 19, 20-year-olds singing this song that was a word to people that were downtrodden by life and existentially weary and physically beaten down. I thought there were probably very few of us who understood that. But somehow we just love this song. And I wonder if church music works that way, as, as you learn some music, but then it actually will stand you in good stead when the time comes and you actually need it. I have a friend named Tom Long, past Presbyterian pastor, and he tells about going to visit a man in the hospital who was dying. And as he approached the room, he heard music. He opened the door, stuck his head in, and the man who was dying was surrounded by his grown children. And they were all holding hands, and they were singing... I forget which hymns, you know, like, great is thy faithfulness, amazing grace, whatever songs of hope and God's love. And Tom joined and sang with them for a while. And then he went out and he, he thought of his son, who was not a churchgoer. And he called his son and said, you have got to start going to church because you've got to know these songs when my time comes. <laughs> I, I love that. And the eagle's wings thing, and I always wonder if, if Tolkien had this passage in mind when uh, Sam and Frodo finally make their way to Mount Doom and uh, uh, deposit, get rid of the ring, but then they're exhausted, nearly dead, and then these eagles swoop in and take them home to Rivendell. So beautiful. It was Tolkien thinking of this. Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, it says that he healed all those who were possessed by demons. And as I said in my sermon two weeks ago, part of me wonders... 
Did he just heal the people possessed by demons? Or is there some wrinkle in Jesus that he wanted to heal people from thinking people were possessed by demons, right? You see how that works? Back in those days, they didn't understand stuff, so they thought they must be demon-possessed, they must be evil. But maybe Jesus wanted us to think of them differently. Kate Bowler was here the other night, uh, Monday. It was kind of interesting, you know, the, uh, Kate was here. Uh, pe people were lining up outside at 5 o'clock. I walked outside and said, this begins at 7 o'clock. I mean, it was just packed. It was great. And Kate's just funny. She can't help it. One of the things that we talked about was toxic religion. You tend to think, oh, if I get a real little religion, if I say a prayer, if I hear a religious message, that's got to be a good thing. But a lot of times religion can be toxic. It can actually do you more harm than good. It can deceive you. It can actually do harm, toxic religion. Jesus wanted to rid us of toxic religion. He comes to the home of Simon Peter. His mother-in-law is there, and she's, uh, she's deadly sick. She's like Tom Long's friend in the hospital. And look what it says. It says, Jesus, three things happened. Jesus took her by the hand. He lifted her up, and her fever left her. And the order of that's so important. The first thing is he took her by the hand. Right, we learned during the pandemic the, the power of touch. Like you took, took it for granted before the pandemic, but then like you're holed up in your house. And you, you just want to touch somebody. You want to shake a hand. You want to put an arm around a shoulder. Jesus touches this woman. He doesn't heal her at some distance. He takes her by the hand. And I just sworn before this week when I was reading it slowly, it said that he healed her and then he lifted her up. But nope, took her by the hand. He lifted her up and then she was healed. There's just something in that, and I can't quite figure it out. We lift people up. Whatever's wrong with people, whatever's wrong with the world, ours as the church is to lift people up. We have Stephen ministers in our church. That's what they do. They walk alongside people that are hurting. They take them by the hand. They lift them up. Nathan, our missions guy, he's taught us over and over how just to, the people, there are people in our world who are debated, who are blamed, I mean, whatever. Um, they're all over the place, and Nathan has just helped us see so well that we, we take them by the hand and we, we lift them up. That's ours, not to debate people or blame people. This is not our thing. How do we do this? Now, here's, I need to share something hard with you this morning, and I hope that's uh, all right. I've been your pastor 21 years, so... Here goes. So that song, Those Who Wait, is so much fun. Uh, I learned that at uh, this Episcopal church. The, the minister there at the time uh, was a guy named John Yates. John went on to become nationally famous. He was like on the front page of newspapers. He was the rector of the Falls Church in Virginia, some of the most beautiful church property in the entire country. But they wound up embroiled in a court case in this court case, they spent over $2 million just to attorneys over the property. I'll tell you about that in a minute. John, John's amazing. We've stayed in touch over the years. Uh, he, John is the reason I am a Christian. John is the reason I am a pastor. I went to that church. I was heathen. I wasn't sure I'd go back, women or not. And this guy took an interest in me. Why? Like, I was just clueless. I was, I was just nothing. I was shy. I was, it was all, but he took an interest in me, and he invited me to his home, and he took me to lunch, and we became kind of like friends. He was like an idol to me. He was so wonderful. He was actually the first person. <laughs> we were at lunch one day, and uh, just out of the blue, he says, uh, have you thought about being a pastor? I, literally, I turned. I thought, who has walked up behind me? And I, me? I know, no, never such a thought. I didn't even know a pastor except you. So I owe John just so much. I love him dearly. Uh, the heartbreak is that, uh, and you know this story, there's been a division in our United Methodist Church, and that was preceded by the same division in the Episcopal Church. So there's this big divide in church life. I love John, but we have found ourselves on opposite sides of that divide. And it's so heartbreaking. 
we're still part of God's church. God hasn't banished anybody from church, but it's so painful. It's such a heartbreak. And, you know, my take on things, you know my take on things, is that when Jesus came, and we have a lot of this about Jesus, Jesus didn't draw moral lines around people and say, you're in and you're out. In fact, Jesus just seemed, just seemed hell-bent on, we're going to include everybody, the people that others despise, the people that others ostracize, that, that's who we're going to include. Nobody's left out. Nobody's debated. We always think of Jesus as being really kind. Jesus wasn't always kind. Sometimes he could have a really harsh word, but you know who he had a harsh word for? Exclusively. He only had harsh words for those who thought they were in a position to pass judgment on other people. Jesus just had no patience with that. See, the church's task is to ask who's weary, who's disregarded, who feels they may not fit, who's been wounded by religion, who's been left out by the world, and ours is to take them by the hand to lift them up, and they become our brothers and our sisters. Nathan and I were talking the other day about a <clears throat> sermon he's going to preach in a couple weeks. I'm going to preach on the same text. We're like stealing ideas from each other. It's not plagiarism if you're friends, right? <laughs> and um, anyhow, one of the things we're talking about is uh, there's a section in, in both texts and sermons about prayer. And one of the things that we want to try to help our people think about is that uh, prayer, too often we think prayer is like you got a prayer list and you rattle off your prayer list to God, then you move on. <laughs> or you know, like you're in trouble and you go, Lord, help, Lord, help me, help me, Lord, or help my brother, somebody. And uh, God loves those prayers. God welcomes those prayers. God cherishes those prayers. God also wants us to grow in prayer to another level where instead of just, Lord, help, Lord, do this, favors, Lord, in, instead. Uh, we just get quiet, and in prayer we say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And, and that's good counsel for all Christians. It's like, Lord, what are you asking of me? What are you saying to me? But it's also a message for the church. Our challenge, our administrative board, our leadership council the other night, to pray that, like, Lord, what are you asking of our church? Speak, Lord, our church is listening. I'd spread that out to all of you as well. It's kind of all that matters at the end of the day. Do we as a church ask, Lord, what are you asking of us? And whatever it is, that is what we will do. And I love it when something comes along that helps me to hear what God might be speaking to me instead of shutting it out. And it comes from all kinds of places. I've told you before, you know, like just the evening news can be like, oh, that, that's something that God can use to call us. There's another thing that gets debated and I'll bring it up since I brought up the other thing uh, while I'm at it. It's that uh, we're now into Black History Month. That's not a religious festival in the church, and it's not the theme of our worship services for the month of February at all. But I always think there are things in Black History Month that can just be... <laughs> I always remember my friend uh, Richard Harrison. Like, he loved to say, Black History Month is every month. And then he would add, and Black History Month is everybody's history. I mean, there's so much wisdom in that. Anyway, things have happened in what we think of as Black History Month. That can be so helpful to us. So on February 15th, we're going to view a film here that's really amazing. Uh, some of you know about this. Uh, there were two guys that went to Myers Park High School together in the late 60s, D. Kirkpatrick and Jimmy Kirkpatrick. D's a white guy. Uh, he grew up, became a forensic psychologist, lives down the street from me and Lisa. We're, we're friends. We're in and out of each other's homes. Jimmy was an African-American football star, all-American, went out and lived on the West Coast and kind of forgot about North Carolina. But then, but then he started doing some genealogical research, and he discovered that he had an ancestor way back who had been a slave of one of Dee's ancestors. And so he reaches out to Dee like, oh, yeah, I remember you. They connect. They talk about all this stuff. And the cool thing is out of everything that you have, have to talk about in such a, a thing they became like best friends and not, I'm not just saying that they're public friends they, they like they hang out together they go on vacations together their children are attendants in each other's weddings like it's a miraculous story and we're gonna watch a video about that that is so helpful to us to see a story like that emerges that emerges out of 
Black History Month, something that's been uh, hitting me lately. I, um, I reached out recently to a biographer named Jonathan Eig. He put out a book this year on Martin Luther King that's won all these awards. And I know somebody who knows him. He connected us. So I reached out to Jonathan the other day, recorded a podcast. Like, that was amazing, like this award-winning author and little old me talking to each other. It was fabulous. So to prepare for that podcast, he's written other biographies, one of Lou Gehrig that's really powerful, but then he wrote one of Muhammad Ali. And I thought, I'm going to read this thing. It's a great award-winning biography of Muhammad Ali. And let me just say, Muhammad Ali was a horrible person. And he was a wonderful person. He was a brilliant person. He was a total knucklehead. All these things, any adjective you think of, it fits Muhammad Ali. He was just extraordinary. What a bizarre life. And the most important thing about Muhammad Ali is during his lifetime, nobody could take their eyes off of him. If you liked him, if you didn't like him, wherever you went, everybody was looking up Muhammad Ali. They were talking about him. And so it was pretty interesting, the things that he chose to talk about. Some of it is just crazy. But he talked about some other things. I mean, he always said those things, right? Like, not just, I am the greatest, but he would say things like, it is hard to be humble when you're as great as I am, which is a marvelous line. He got rambling one day. He said, I used to ask my mother, Mama, why, why is everything white? Like, angels are white? You never see a black angel. Why is that? Uh, Tarzan in the middle of the jungle of Africa is a white guy. Like, What's that about? We have a white house. Why don't we have a black house? We, you, you white, 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 everything white is good. Black things are, you blackmail someone, like that's a bad thing. Eat devil's food cake, like it's dark cake. <laughs> He's rambling about this. He, um, this is a funny one, I thought. He says, you shouldn't call us Negroes. He said, all people in the world are called what they are based on where they're from. Mexicans are from Mexico. Italians are from Italy. Egyptians are from Egypt. Where's this place called Negroes? He just doesn't make any sense. He's just funny. And then he tells a story, told it many times. Imagine that uh, you're in bed with your partner and there's a, the house is on fire. You wake up and the house is on fire and you look up and there's a hot two by four that's about to fall. So you go, you dash out of the house. And as you see the house going up in flames, you remember, oh, my partner was in the bed. I didn't wake him up. Oh, I should have woken him up. And you're lamenting this, but then the guy somehow makes it out of the house, and he comes up to you and says, why didn't you wake me up? You left me in there to burn. And then Muhammad Ali said a word that spoke to everybody in the 60s and does speak to some people today. He says, white America has left black America in the burning house for 300 years. I don't know if you agree with that or not. It doesn't matter. It just, it just it makes us think, Lord, speak. Lord, is there something in that that we need to hear? It's hidden, actually, in the Founding Fathers. The Founding Fathers, marvelous, wise, geniuses. What a collection of people. They were all white guys, of course. And they wrote the most marvelous words ever politically, all men are created equal. I mean, we cherish that, but it never dawned on them that they weren't speaking of or even including the women. And they certainly weren't speaking of or including men or women of color. But yet I think hidden in their wisdom is the truth that finally came out. I mean, I wonder, does the Holy Spirit inspire even politicians, <laughs> despite themselves, sometime to arrive at something that, that is so wise and speaks the truth of the heart of God, and they may not even get it themselves, and we may not understand it yet as people, but yet it's hidden in there, and we discover it over time. All, all, all are created equal. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. What are you trying to say to us? Ours is to lift people up. I'll close with this. Uh, when Isaiah comes to those exiles, they're so forlorn. There's no hope whatsoever. And the way he persuades them that there is hope is he says, look at the created world. God made grasshoppers. <laughs> God made the sky. God made the trees. God, I mean, just go out and look at the wonders of the world. If God could do that, God, 
God actually could help you. If God could do that, God actually could help our church. If God could do that, God, this seems impossible, might even save our country. I mean, is that even possible with the mess that we are in? Kate Bowler and I talked about that the other night, one of the chapters in her book that we're asking you to read together, Have a Beautiful, Terrible Day. She has an installment in there about wonder. She said that when you're feeling anxious, when you're down, when you're depressed, when you're sad, one of the things that you can do is you can try to recover a sense of wonder. Like if you have some awe for the world, your anxiety eases a little, your worries ease a little. You begin to think about the God who has that much power. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, oh God, instead of praying for happiness, I prayed for wonder, and you gave them to me. <laughs> I love that. Friends, it's our privilege to be part of God's church. Ours is to take people by the hand, to lift them up, then witness the healing that comes. What joy, what fun. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. God of all beauty, from the stretches of the heavens to the sea, to the forest, to the beautiful flowers throughout all the world, we sit in awe, inspired, comforted, and hopeful because of what we know you have and continue to create, and that is beauty. God, we sit in awe because we can look around this room this day and see beauty surrounding us. We can feel the beauty of your words from Scripture, the beauty of the sung hymns, the beauty of the proclaimed word, the beauty of our neighbors. And for that, we give thanks. Though, God, sometimes we are forgetful. So forgive us when we neglect the beauty in one another. Forgive us when we see somebody else who might not fit into our natural circle of peers, and we judge, we push aside, we limit their ability by our perspective. Forgive us when we neglect these sisters and brothers of ours. Forgive us, God, when we literally trash our world and trash the beauty that you have so freely given us instead of caring for it. Forgive us when we don't take the opportunities or seek the opportunities to, sill, to till, to sow, and harvest your beauty that we know is there for all. Lord, in your mercy, Gracious God, we know that you deeply ache for us to be made whole with you and with one another. So we pray today that we will seek reconciliation, places to heal, places to include, places to ask the ongoing hard question at times, who is missing at this table? Who is missing in this pew, who is missing in the leadership questions and direction? God, form us that we might ache as you ache. Transform us so that we might see as you would see, and that we might hear as you hear the cries of this world. Lord, in your mercy, God of mercy, we pour out our hearts this day for those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are mourning the loss of a loved one, those who are aching just for a little bit of relief.
God, we know that our brothers and sisters in Palestine and Israel are aching for an end to violence, a ceasefire, courage to help people value one another. So God, may we find our places here locally that we value those who are around us, that we seek ways to lift up our neighbors in a healing, reconciling way. Lord, in your mercy. God, you've heard our prayers, the ones spoken aloud and the ones from our heart. So here we are again, committing ourselves to you, asking for you to speak to us, for we are listening. God, we lift this prayer in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together as a family, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church family, as we continue this time of worship, it's um, just a celebration of the gift and the life of this church, of the gracious hospitality that we extend all over the place uh, from beyond the walls to inside the walls. And one of those that's resuming, maybe you participated in this morning, is our shuttle service from Myers Park Traditional. It runs every Sunday morning from 9 to 12.30 on a rotational basis. It's a great way for us to be hospitable. Um, you can park there, you can come here, and those who are new to the church will have a place to park closer. So we invite you to participate in that. And it's because of your generosity through our tithes and offering, we are able to participate in that hospitality ministry.
generous God, what a joy it is to give back to your ministry that we participate in, that we might use these gifts to reach out to those who are hurting, that we might be lifted up together for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you be seated for just a moment? Eight years ago, a bright light entered our church family. Nathan Arledge uh, came and has been with us and has been a great faithful friend, a diligent pastor, an inspiration. Do you want me to go on for a while? I could, I could. And uh, we have a peculiar situation, maybe you read about this, and I can't say I understand it fully, but we're embracing it as God's call. Uh, the bishop and I have been talking, and, and with Nathan, uh, Harrison United Methodist Church is one of our most impactful churches in our region. And they're in a really important season of their life where they need outstanding leadership for the next few months. Uh, their pastor left in December, and so the bishop has asked Nathan to come as an interim pastor there. They're, they're lucky dogs uh, for that. And we don't know if Nathan will be back. I find myself hoping he'll be back, but he may stay. We don't know yet. Uh, but there it is. And so I want you to join me in kind of sending him out today. I want you to, to imagine we're all up here laying hands on him, which that just would not work. 
but we can kind of do it. So where you are, just hold out a hand toward Nathan. Excellent. And repeat after me. Nathan, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for your life, for your love, for your call. We love you. We send you. We know you will be a blessing. We will pray for you. We will pray for the Harrison Church. We will pray for your family. You will always be one of us. Join me in reading. for our benediction. And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.